Okay, so continuing on with our study of creation. First things first, like we're going to do every week and like we've been doing ever since we've been starting out studying the catechism, is that we're going to review our questions. We have two during this uh, 10-week section, and let's review them. So first of all, question 12. What is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Okay, question 12. Question 13 then. How did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. So we're going to be taking a lot of these clauses one by one, doing some lessons on each of the clauses, and that brings us to this first underlined one after our two-week intro that we've been doing, this first underlined clause here of nothing. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing. From that, we get that or uh, we get that from that great Latin phrase, ex nihilo. So that's what we're going to be considering, God creating all things ex nihilo today. And so uh, this is going to be a shorter lesson, mainly because I'm preaching the the, uh, worship service today, and so we're going to keep it a little bit shorter because of that. But we're still going to work through some things and what it means and the implications and the scriptural support for God creating things ex nihilo. (coughs) And so... To begin, there are two questions that any religion or any worldview has to answer. Okay, there's, there's lots of questions that they have to answer, but there's two kind of primary foundational ones that any religion or any worldview, worldview is really just another word for religion, so any religion, any worldview has to answer these two questions. The first question is, why is there something rather than nothing? Okay, it's a very basic question, it's a very philosophical question, theological implications abound uh, tremendously with that question. So repeat it again. Why is there something rather than nothing? And then the second question follows from that is that why is the something like it is rather than a different something? Okay. So why is there something rather than nothing? And why is the something like it is rather than a different something? And I'm going to make the argument, you probably all agree with me, hope you do, that Christianity is the only religion that answers these questions in a really satisfying way. So the first one, why is there something rather than nothing? Well, we'll get that answer right at the very beginning of the Bible, because in the beginning, God created. So there's your answer to that one. Why is there something rather than nothing? Because in the beginning, God created. And then the second one, why is the something like it is rather than a different something? Well, it's because according to the decree of God's will, right, God willed it to be the way it is. God willed it to be this something rather than some other something. In other words, God wanted it to be this way. So we've got why is there something rather than nothing? And then why is the something like it is rather than a different something? But then I asked then, where did this something come from? So where did it come from? How did everything that we see, everything that we can perceive, everything that we can think of, how did it come about? 
that, you know, philosophers have struggled with this for millennia. Was it formed from some pre-existing material? Okay, so is the something here formed from some pre-existing material? Well, maybe it could even be formed from some sort of pre-existing material that is completely different in essence than the material that that material became. Okay, that might be a possibility. Well, if that's the case, then where did that pre-existing material come from? Could it be some other different pre-existing material that had a different essence than that pre-existing material? Okay, well, yeah, maybe. And so what about this, that, that class of pre-existing material? So we've got, we've got a, a problem here, right? You can see the problem here. It can't just be turtles all the way down. You've got a problem. It can't be solved by some sort of reverse induction here. So the only solution then to where this something came from is that there had to be a creator, first of all. There has to be a creator that has existed from eternity past, which we talked about last week, the idea of eternity and infinity. And this creator had to call forth anything that is in existence from non-existence. Okay? It literally had to come from nothing. Okay? Ex nihilo. So the phrase, nothing begets nothing, is not actually true. Right? Nothing can come into being if it has a creator. Okay? And this, I'll admit, is very difficult for us to understand. It's very difficult for humans to understand. Because in one sense, we talked about this a little bit last week too, we can be creative in a certain sense. Humans can be creative, but humans cannot create ex nihilo. And then actually, which we also discussed last week, strictly speaking, humans can't really create in the truest sense of the word. We can really only synthesize. We can take things that have already existed and we can either break them down or we can put them together or we can break them down and then put them together to make something new. So we're really only synthesizing things here. We're not actually creating things. Even in those examples that we gave last week of woodworking or baking a cake or computer code or you know, creating a new life with a child or something like that. All of that is still just synthesization, right? It's not true creation or true creation out of nothing at all. Okay? We're just, we need this pre-existing material. But God, God is not constrained that way. God doesn't need pre-existing material because he can create ex nihilo. He can create out of nothing. And once again, this act, this act really is a great mystery to us. Um, there really is more, more to this than we can actually understand. We can trust God in that he has told us this, and we can believe it. We can truly believe it with all of our hearts, but it's not something that we can fully comprehend. Um, because we can't create merely by act of the will. God can create merely just by the act of his will. And so we can't really fully understand how God can do this. Um, but just to say that he created ex nihilo, that phrase, or from nothing or out of nothing, is really to confess the, mis- the mystery. It's not, that doesn't help us explain the mystery. That's really to confess it. That phrase itself is really, it should make you think, wow, what a mighty God we serve, right? That he can create out of nothing. That he can take something that is not pre-existent and make it existent, right? And so... 
It's not in a way that we explain it. It's not a way that we comprehend it. It's a way, it's something that we believe, and it's something that makes us confess the mystery, and it makes us worship God even more because he is that mighty. Okay, so this doctrine of creation ex nihilo, we've got it now as a solution to our philosophical problem of existence. And so that's good. It's good to have philosophical solutions to things. But if our philosophical solutions to things don't have scriptural support, well, we've got a problem. So the question is, then, is does this creation from nothing or out of nothing, ex nihilo, have scriptural support? Well, yes, it does. I'm sure you already knew the answer to that. Um, but it does. There are three Hebrew words that denote creation that are used in the creation account itself, the main one being the Hebrew word bara. Uh, Interestingly, actually, the word does not necessarily mean creation from nothing. That word does not necessarily mean that because it's used elsewhere in Scripture, and elsewhere in Scripture it's used to denote God's works of providence or God creating things from his providence. And so creation from providence or works from providence actually doesn't uh, actually needs pre-existing things, right? It's God controlling everything that's already here through the decree of his will. But it does need pre-existing things. So the Hebrew word bara can denote that right there. But the interesting thing is that the word bara is always associated with creation by a work of God. There's other Hebrew words that can denote creation from a human standpoint or that humans can use to create things. But the word bara is always associated with creation by a work of God, exclusively reserved for his works. And so then the opening verse here in the, in the creation account, Genesis 1-1, which you've heard me say a dozen times already, but probably going to hear it a dozen more, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that created there, that's the bara. God created the heavens and the earth. And the interesting thing is actually in the closing of the creation account in Genesis 2, 3, it says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. That's still the same Hebrew word right there, bara. God had rested all from all of his work that he had done in creation. So you get the opening and the closing of the Genesis account or the creation account bookended and emphasizing that everything that is listed here is from God. Everything in the creation account is listed as from God. It's not coming from anything else. It's coming exclusively from God. God is the one creating the things. Okay. So back here in Genesis 1, 1 again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The clear implication here, even though the word bara The Hebrew word for creation itself doesn't necessarily mean from nothing. The implication from the text then has to be really from nothing because nothing is there in the beginning, right? God creates the beginning itself, right? In the beginning, we talked about that last week, God creates time itself in the beginning, not just the world, not just the physical things. God creates time in the beginning, That's what it means by in the beginning. So everything is being called forth out of nothing. So before this, it's just God, right? So we don't, even in verse 1, before we go on to the other verses, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We don't really, in that verse, get exactly what God creates here. We don't get that yet. But it's clear, I think, that it came from nothing. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. (laughs) And then verse 2 comes in and says, The earth was without form and void, darkness over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So verse 2 comes in and starts bringing in this idea that God is going to start fashioning things. Okay, God is going to start to fashion whatever he has created in verse 1 into something beautiful. We get this idea of the beauty that's coming in now. So God creates ex nihilo in verse 1, and then God starts to fashion things that he has created, right? In verse 2, and so on and so forth. And so you get this idea that something beautiful is coming. And then the rest of the chapter is filled with God literally vocally booming things into existence, right? God speaks and something happens. God speaks and something happens. And so if you go through here, if you go through Genesis 1, I mean, it's everywhere. Verse 3, it says, and God said, let there be light, right? And then in verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse. And then in verse 9, and God said, let the water, waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And then verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout forth vegetation. And then verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. And then verse 20, and God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. And verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind. And then verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So you get all these, God said, and God said, and God said, God is booming everything into existence here. The heavens, the stars, the planets, the earth, the creatures, the waters, the land, and then ultimately man, his ultimate creation. So God is really calling forth these things out of nothing when he speaks. Okay, He's created things, he's fashioning them, and he's booming things into existence. God said, and God said, and God said, and it was so. And then the same truth is then communicated in other scriptural passages also. Other scriptural passages we got. So here's where I'm going to ask you to start reading things. Someone turn to Psalm 33. Someone turn to Psalm 148. Someone to Revelation 4. And someone to Romans 4. All right. If someone is at Psalm 33, if you would read verses 6 and verse, sorry, verse, verse 6 and verse 9. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. For he spoke, and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. There we go. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He spoke, and it came forth. He commanded, and it stood firm. So you get... God creating things here by the word of his power, okay, from nothing. If someone's at Psalm 148, would you read verse 5? Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He commanded and they were created. Once again, got this command coming from God, vocally booming things into existence out of nothing. Okay, Revelation 4, someone there. Revelation 4, verse 11, if somebody's there. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You know, you created all things, like it came from nothing. You created them all. By your will they existed and were created. It all comes directly from God's will, from nothing else. And then Romans 
four. This one's this one's particularly interesting in Hope Field. I, I did not I've never realized this from Romans four until I started studying for this lesson. So Romans four, hold on, let me get there first before somebody reads it. Romans four, verse seventeen. Yeah. Yeah, that's the part I'm looking for. Yeah. I was starting at the beginning. I was like, oh, no. But um, yeah, exactly. So Romans 4, this is particular. It's a particular, peculiar and hope-filled case, right? I'm going to go back and read the whole thing. It says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Yeah, Dirk read the most important part for our purposes at least. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the thing calls into existence the things that do not exist. So the the context here that Paul's talking about, it's not really about the creation of the world specifically, but it's about a promised son that God makes to Abraham, right? Promised son God makes to Abraham here. God is going to call Isaac into existence here. So God calls things into existence, even people, even individual people, not just man when he creates them in the Genesis account in general. God calls individual people into existence here. He called Isaac into existence with the promise that made to Abraham. So he calls these things that had not existed before. And even here, with Paul says with his little parenthetical, who gives life to the dead? Paul is really, he's subtly pointing out here that even that God even calls our faith into existence, right? God calls our spiritual life into existence. He called Isaac's physical life into existence when he makes this promise to Abraham here. But God even calls our spiritual life into existence. God calls our faith into existence literally from nothing, right? And that's the amazing part of grace here too. So God, when God creates ex nihilo, we're really focused on physical creation here too, but it's when he makes a new creation too. It's really out of nothing as well. I thought that was amazing whenever I first read it when I was studying for this. Um, something that wasn't there had to be created by God. So life, physical life comes, eternal life also comes from God to his people, ex nihilo. But back, back to the creation of the world We're still looking at scriptural evidence here um, for God creating the world out of nothing. We've given scriptural support from Genesis, from Psalms, from Revelation, from Romans. But really the strongest scriptural evidence I saved for last here, it's from Hebrews 11. We've read this before, but we're going back to it now. Hebrews 11, this is the strongest scriptural evidence that God creates literally from nothing. 11 verse 3. Remember, this is the great chapter about faith, right? So in 11.3, it says, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Okay? It could have stopped there and it would have been good, but it continues on. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay? The language there is communicating the things that are seen then were made from things that we cannot perceive, things that was not preexistent, there was no material there. God called these things into existence from nothing. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. So creation then, biblical creation, 
creation, full Orthodox Christianity, believing, faithful creation, like I said, is, is a fact that we can really only apprehend and fully comprehend. Well, we can't fully comprehend it. It's the only thing that we can, app, we can only apprehend it by faith. Hebrews tells us that here. By faith, then, we believe, like I said, not fully comprehend, but we believe that the world was fashioned by the word of God. Everything we see, everything we perceive, everything we can theorize about the existence of was made completely and totally out of that which cannot be seen, which cannot be perceived, which cannot be measured, which cannot even be theorized about. Everything came from nothing by the will of God, by his decree. And so what this should do then, this really should, like it was meant to do, elicit just an incredible sense of awe, an incredible sense of awe at the divine mystery of creation, and then lead us into worship, like it was all meant to do. It was all for the glory of God, and it's for us to worship him. He has given enough for us to believe, for us to have faith and to believe these things. And it's all meant to point back to him and to lead us to worship him. And so like we've been doing, I'm going to close with a psalm. It's going to be a different one. This time it's going to be Psalm 104 that touches on a lot of aspects of creation. And it's a wonderful psalm of praise. So we're going to read it together to close our lesson for today. It's Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chamber on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers win, his ministers a flaming fire. He sets the earth on its foundation so that it shall never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You made springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the, bird, the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know its time for setting. You made darkness, and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both great and small. 
There go the ships in Leviathan, which you have formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles? Who touches the mountains and they smoke? I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Amen. Right? That elicits a lot of praise and awe from us.